Welcome to Don't IEP Alone, the only podcast dedicated to helping parents navigate the IEP process and hosted by a special education advocate. Your host has been attending IEP meetings for over a decade and has helped thousands of parents go from an IEP rookie to an IEP all-star. Be prepared to learn tips that will be a total game changer for you as a parent advocate and most importantly, your child's outcomes. Partnered with the award-winning Lock a Day in Our Shoes, you'll be confident, knowledgeable, and actually looking forward to your next IEP meeting. Don't IEP alone. Get ready. Here's your host, from suburban Philadelphia, Lisa Leitner. Hi, and welcome back. It's Lisa. Thanks for tuning in. We are back and dissecting an IEP. Um... If you have any questions about any parts of the IEP, we are slowly working our way through and discussing each individual section. So today is SDIs. What's SDI? Um, maybe SDI is a Pennsylvania thing. I don't think it is. What makes an IEP different from a 504 is that an IEP, when a child has an IEP, it basically says that your child needs specially designed instruction. They need SDIs in order to access and benefit from their education. A 504 is just the accommodations. So... The SDI is really the meat and potatoes of the IEP. This is the, um, this is it. This is what your child is going to receive as special education. The problem that I see, or I'll, I'll go through several several reoccurring trends and issues that I see with this um, is that under SDIs, and of course it's, let me back up. An SDI is the specially designed instruction. It is, you know, what your child is going to receive. Under SDIs, is related services, which I'm going to get to in the next podcast. We're not going to talk about that here today. But there's also program modifications. So there's accommodations, strategies, and modifications. A modification is an actual change to the curriculum. So if, um, if a child, an, an accommodation would be, let's say you have this test and a test has 50 questions on it and the non-disabled kids have one sheet of paper and there's 25 questions on each side, that's too much for your child. So your child's accommodation is to have 
10 pages and there's only five questions on each page because it's chunked down for them because it's too overwhelming for them to have 25 on a page so they only get five. That's an accommodation. A modification is that the teacher picks out the 10 most essential questions content, you know, the 10 most important questions of the test for to to gauge whether or not your child knows the content and your child only gets 10 questions and the rest of the class gets 50. She has modified the curriculum for that child. Okay? So this is honestly where a lot of parents I know flip to when they first get a draft IEP, this is the page they flip to, right? Your special education, your SDIs, your supplementary aids and services, whatever um, section it is. But, you know, it's kind of the what am I going to get portion of the IEP. One of the issues that I see is accommodations being presented as interventions. And my my son in fourth grade, they're given, um, you know, in, in reading or LA or whatever they call it these days, um, you know, he's dissecting short stories and books and things like that. So sometimes in class, they'll be given a short story, say it's three pages to read, and then they have to answer a bunch of questions or work on it in a group or whatever. If your child has, you know, whether it's decoding, reading issues, comprehension, um, if they struggle with inference and inference is a part of reading. Okay, so your, your child has all these disabilities, not disability, that, that's in, not knowing inference isn't a disability in and of itself. But let's just say your, your child has reading disabilities, right? So those are some of their struggles. The whole class gets 15 minutes to read this story but they give your child 20 or 30 minutes and that's listed on their IEP, you know, that they will get double the time, class time to read assignments or whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Giving me twice the amount of time is not an intervention. That's an accommodation. That's still assuming that I can read. If you hand me that short story and it's written in Mandarin, it doesn't matter if I stare at it for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or 30 days. If nobody teaches me how to read Mandarin, I'm never, ever, ever going to be able to read that story. Does that make sense? So there are just a lot of accommodations that I see. One is, you know, giving extended time for whatever. Extended time is a popular one. Um, pull out. Pulling out to a quiet room. Pulling out to the resource room. All these things mean nothing if you haven't taught the skill. 
I can't read Mandarin. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting in the middle of Times Square trying to read the story in Mandarin or if I'm sitting in my kitchen right now, just me. If you don't teach me how to read Mandarin, I'm never, ever going to be able to read this story. So giving kids more time and quiet spaces and less distractions. Now, don't get me wrong. Some kids still need that. Some kids really struggle with focus and need quiet, small settings to do things. I get that. But again, they have to know the skill or be taught the skill to do it in the small setting. Because just because a child can't do something in a large setting doesn't mean, okay, well, you know, we're going to put them in a room with two other people. And then all of a sudden, voila, reading comprehension solved. Okay, it doesn't work that way. So if your child is lacking skills, and it doesn't matter what it is, you know, obviously reading and writing is, is, one of the biggies. Um, but if your child is lacking the skill, please make sure that they have SDIs on there of someone who is going to teach them the skill using evidence-based programming. I do have a blog post about um, about I think eight or 10 of the most popular reading programs and how to get them on your IEP. If your child lacks a skill, they need interventions. If your child truly only has attentive ADHD and they really just need accommodations to be able to succeed, then they really just need a 504. They don't even need any special instruction. The problem is that so many of these learning disabilities, um, as my friend Judy says, they rarely travel alone. I have yet to, I really have yet to meet a child who has either dyslexia or ADHD or um, something like that and didn't have something else comorbid. You know, whether it be a sensory thing or executive functioning or whatever it is. I, I, I don't think I've ever met a child who really only, who really and truly only had one issue. Although it happens. I get it. You don't, you don't need to email me. I know. Um, so that's just, that's the biggest thing I want parents to look for. Because they might see this whole long list of accommodations and think like, wow, okay, wow, my, my child's getting all this. But look at the core of it. And is your child going to be taught the skills that they are, are lacking? Are they receiving an intervention specific to their needs? Because again, I see all these modifications and accommodations listed and not interventions. 
And if your child needs special ed, they need some type of intervention. If they could learn it the way everyone else was learning it, you wouldn't have asked for an IEP, right? Um, another couple of things that stand out to me when I go through this section with clients. Uh, one is that most accommodations, strategies, all this stuff, you know, it's very unusual that if your child, say, has focus and attention issues, that they're only going to have those issues in reading class. You know, they're going to have them in reading class, and they're also going to have them in gym and music and art. Okay, so most of this stuff, there are always exceptions, but most of this stuff you want it applied across all environments. If a child gets an accommodation for one class, you know, chances are that disability is going to exhibit itself. It may not in some preferred, you know, some kids can focus better and do better on the preferred content. Um, but for the most part, you want it applied across all environments. Um, shoot, I had something else at the tip of my tongue and now I can't think of what it was. Um, oh, I know what it is. I thought of it. Um, it's this idea of earning the accommodations. And that's separate. If your child has a behavior plan and you want to talk about antecedents and, and rewards and things like that, like we'll, we'll do that in another podcast. Um, some kids, and I'll give you a really good example, this one comes up a lot, is sensory breaks. And I had a kid one time and, you know, he needed sensory breaks. He was a fidgety kid. And it was written in his, on his whatever, that, like, basically it said, if he is good and well-behaved, he would get a sensory break. And so I raised my hand in the meeting and I said, the... I don't understand this having to earn an accommodation if he needs it. And the days that he most needs a sensory break is probably the day that he's least likely to earn one. And like the teacher who wrote it just looked at me and she's like, you know what, you're right. And it was just, it was just one of those things where the team was just like, well, this is what we do and, and hadn't really thought about it. And then someone pointed out to him and they're like, oh, you know what, you're right. And they changed it. But, um, yeah, just this idea of earning your modifications or earning your accommodations is just wrong. Um, it's already been determined that the child needs these, so you, you, sh you know they don't have to earn their accommodations. So I would do away with that because again, the the days that they need the accommodations the most is the day that they're least likely to earn them. Um, and that's really it. Oh, you can name, I've heard that, that you can't, you can't write Wilson or you can't write, um, Linda Mood Bell on, uh, as an SDI. And yes, you absolutely can. When it comes down to it, 
schools, I say this all the time, schools really can do what they want on an IEP. There is no, we can't do that, we can't do this, we can't do that. If they wanna put Wilson or Linda Mood Bell on an IEP, they yes, they can. We're not allowed to do that. Why not? Show me where it says that. Um, like anything else, it's how far you want to push it. But if your child needs an intervention that is a very specific curriculum, those I find are the hardest SDIs to get and they're the hardest ones um, to get named in an IEP and I get it. A lot of parents say, well, they're doing it, but they just didn't write it on the IEP. That's up to you. I, I personally, I'm, you know I'm not a school basher. I love public schools and I love teachers. Um, but the fact is, when you don't name a Wilson Reading or a Linda Mood Bell program on the IEP, you're not held accountable to it. It increases your level of accountability. And you can very easily call, you know, the Linda Mood Bell 800 number and say, what is the curriculum? How is this program supposed to be delivered with fidelity? And they can tell you, you know, what the instructor is supposed to have and how many hours and blah, 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 blah. Um, not naming it on an IEP decreases accountability. It's plain and simple. And whenever this comes up in the, in the Facebook group, a lot of teachers get defensive on that and they go, well, no, we just don't name it because, and to that I say bullshit. If you're doing it, name it. Why wouldn't you want to take credit for something that you're doing? If your school has Wilson trained instructors or OG or Barton or whatever it is, if you have trained instructors and you're doing these interventions, why wouldn't you name it? It makes no sense. unless you don't want to be held accountable. I fought for, well, every IEP, I have to bring it up. But it, I, know, I shouldn't say everyone. Periodically, I have, I have, um, I wish I had my son's IEP in front of me. I would read it directly. But it's, um, it basically says that all of Kevin's curriculum will be taught to him using ABA, basically, or using the methods of ABA programming or something like that. I wanted ABA named in his IEP because he's making progress. He loves his school. He had some regression because of the seizures, but other than that, you know, he's doing very well there. It's a really good placement for him. And there aren't a lot of places that do ABA. And I want it named that he's doing ABA. So sometimes it just kind of disappears from the, from the IEP and I ask that it get added back on. Um, they're doing it, so let's name it, right? Because it also holds everyone to a level of accountability to not only provide ABA programming, which they do, but it makes it a little bit more difficult to change his placement to a non-ABA setting, which is something I don't want. So, okay, I'm going to stop there for SDIs. Now you know what an SDI is for those who have asked.
what's an SDI? Ugh, meet them where they're at in the journey. Respect where they're at in the journey. Um, next time, tune in for related services and on and on and on as we go through an IEP. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Don't IEP Alone podcast. No parent should have to IEP alone. And with a day in our shoes, you don't have to. For more IEP assistance and letter templates, visit adayinourshoes.com. For ongoing assistance and support, follow our Facebook page and group. Wait.